everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Cluck, and along with my co-worker, Jordan Bianchi. We are writers for The Athletic, and today it's another one of our off-season podcasts. And uh, last week on our first off-season podcast of the season, off-season, that's kind of a weird, there's a lot of off-seasons there in one, in one <laughs> sentence, Jordan. But I am not going to be critical. My, my goal is not to be critical in this podcast. I'm trying to be nicer and more friendly to you. Oh, wow. I don't know if we can make it through an hour doing that. I certainly won't no. be returning the favor. So, no, no, I, mean, no, I wouldn't expect anything less. But last week, um, we asked people, hey, you know, um, I gave out my email address and we said, you know, podcast listeners only. We're not putting this on Twitter. And uh, please send us some questions for a possible listener mailbag episode. Well, we got so many. I mean, we got over 30 here, I think, Th- 30 emails. And some people had multiple questions, four or five questions. Um, thanks to everybody who sent in your questions. Some people wrote really long, detailed thoughts and, um, really cool to read. A lot read of kind words. A lot of kind words. Very nice. Yeah. It's, it's like someone pranking us or something. This is way too nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so first of all, thanks to everybody who sent in stuff, but we just thought, well, geez, we shouldn't delay at all on doing a listener mailbag episode. Uh, we might need two to get through even, you know, half these questions. So first of all, apologies, I guess, uh, so all the questions we're not going to be able to get to because we just, I mean, I'm, we're, we're looking at one of these uh, shared Google Docs here, Jordan, and it's 16 pages of questions uh, all told. So uh, pretty pretty nice response there. It is. It, it was great. Um, I love interacting with our listeners. I think we have a great group of listeners. It's always wonderful to, to get their feedback. And I was surprised by the number of questions. And honestly, just we both said that this week, so many great questions. It's like, how do we pare this down? uh to to what we chose so hopefully we can uh, revisit this because i think this is a fun little addition to the podcast maybe we can do this on a regular basis and some people had some very creative submissions too like uh, i'm looking at (laughs) jack kozlowski uh he is at university of buffalo he's a student and he um he asked a couple questions then he said P.S. Can you ask Jordan if he's ever considered a polar selfie stick to record his videos? See picture attached. And he did a Photoshop of your infamous Bristol moment with T-shirt guy blocking you. Um, and he has he made a design of a where you would you would get around T-shirt guy with a pole and still be able to continue filming. Uh, I wish we could show everybody on the podcast this creation, but uh, pretty pretty clever there. So that would have uh, that actually would have come in handy. Uh, would have been interested to see how T-shirt guy would have handled that, but that probably could have solved a lot of my problems that day. He may have just <laughs> knocked it right out of your hand or hit or yeah, beat you with it. the stick. So um, <laughs> no one wants to see me hit with a stick. I actually take that back. There's probably a lot of people that want to see me hit with a stick. <laughs> well, then we got another. Uh, listener question, for instance, from uh, Bob Pockris, who asked, uh, how come I always see Jordan in the background post-race, but never see Gluck on my television? Okay, Why is I that, feel, Jordan? I don't know. I feel targeted. I feel like this has become a thing, and I <laughs> I promise this isn't, like, intentional. I, I don't... I just try to get really close and up close, and sometimes probably too close, but I don't know. What You tell me. What do you think? You see this? I learned a long time ago, when you see a camera pointed interviewing somebody you can that means you're in it so i just don't want to be <laughs> that's in that's how that so. works <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean i mean I aren't know. you I, conscious of like if you're like let's I, say you're in the post-race bullpen and there's a camera even even like off to the side where they're interviewing somebody else on pit road and it's sort of pointing in our direction i immediately tense up and i go okay don't pick your nose don't pick your nose don't scratch anything don't like oh, why would you, you pick know? your nose anyway well, i mean, I mean you wouldn't but i mean don't even scratch your nose like don't scratch your ear like uh, 
don't just don't pull do it. anything. Yeah, I mean, just don't do something where immediately people are going to be in the background and see you on NBC or Fox, whatever, and make a GIF or a GIF, whatever. People keep getting mad at me for that. Um, out of you, you know, scratching your eyebrow or whatever. Like, look at this guy. Is there something wrong with his eyebrow? He's got something in his eye. You know how it is. Like, I so I'm always like, no, no, I don't want to do that. But you know, you're just like, hey, I'm doing my job. I'm in it. You know, you're just so focused. I think you don't see it or something. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't think about it to be honest with you. I, I just want to be up close and in you know in the thick of it and know what's going on. And and I think the Formula One race at Austin. You know, I was right behind Total Wolf, and I didn't even like give it a second thought. It was just so focused on what I was doing, which was following Christian Horner around. And like, and then you messaged me and you're like, dude, you're in this shot. And I'm like, well, Oh, thank okay. goodness you didn't pick your nose. Cause that would have been, been beamed to viewers around the world oh, on the post-race yeah. coverage. But I feel like Bob is targeting me. So that was, uh, that's a little hurtful, Bob. I thanks. appreciate that joke, Bob. So thank you for, I don't think he's joking. <laughs> he's just giving you a hard time. Like Bob, that's Bob humor right there. That's Bob humor. Uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, we, we went through, we, we, you know, I don't even know if we're going to do any particular order here. Uh, yeah, we haven't really organized this well. <laughs> we haven't organized it, but we're just going to go through and, uh, let's, let's just start off with a bang here, Jordan. Uh, All right. Now, one more thing before we get started. I'm so sorry. Some people in, when they sent me an email, some people sign their full name. Mm-hmm. Some people just sign their name, even though they're like full, like first and last name was in it like in the email header, you know, like, or in mm-hmm. their email address, I'm not going to read their last name if they didn't like sign it. Cause, uh, I don't want to like, if they, maybe they didn't mean for their full name to be on the podcast. So this is from Trevor. Trevor knows who, who, who they are because, um, you know, he submitted the question in the first place. So you'll know it's your question. But if you hear me read some people's first names and some people's last names, that's why I didn't want to just do it without permission. So Trevor wrote in, and uh, one of his questions was, if you were NASCAR president for a day, what would be your first decree? You want to go first, Jordan, or do you want me to? Yeah, that's a, why don't you go first? Because I, I honestly don't have one straight answer. So please, I'm curious what you have to say. Okay. So first of all, you know, it, the, it's a different question if, if you were NASCAR president overall and just NASCAR president for a day right? Because there's only so much you can do in a day. You can't change the whole sport. And plus the regular NASCAR president would probably just come back the next day and change back everything you did if he didn't like (laughs) it. (laughs) So if I had a day, a positive change that I would make that I feel like would maybe stick is I would require, I would mandate that all drivers um, have to do some sort of fan engagement uh, activity during the race weekend, whether that's a full field autograph session whether that's a stage in the fan zone, whether that's uh, a meet and greet or something like drivers are going to be asked, not just by teams and sponsors, but by NASCAR to do more, to get out, like to basically, I'm going to guarantee our fans that if you come to a race weekend, the full weekend, not just race day, if you come to like Saturday, Sunday, and you want to see your favorite driver in person, that maybe you're not going to get an autograph, but you know, for some of the more popular guys, Chase Elliott can't sign 50,000 autographs, but you're going to you're going to be able to see that driver. We're going to give you an opportunity to see that driver in person with your ticket. No extra add-ons, just part of the experience. You have that chance at least to see your driver. That's what I would change. I like it. I like that. Here's my idea. I'm going to call Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott into my office. I'm going to call one of my television partners and we're going to have a television special and we're going to rewatch the end of that Bristol race. Then we are going to rewatch the end of that Roval race and everything that transpired there. 
and I'm going to record and interact with these guys, their actions and their feelings as they're watching this. And everything that they say is going out over a live television broadcast. Tell me you wouldn't watch that. So they have to sit next to each other in a room watching yep. this, yep. And getting asked for what happened. Exactly. And they have to explain in all the awkwardness or whatever. Yes. And I'd That's probably great. bring in some like uh, adult beverages, maybe kind of, you know, loosen them up a little bit. That, I think that would be fun. That sounds really fun. I like that. Okay. That's very good. <laughs> Joe McIntyre. Um, one of his questions is what deceased or decommissioned track do you guys think would be the best addition to the current NASCAR schedule and why now, of course this comes in a week where North Wilkesboro and Rockingham uh, just got some funding from in the new North Carolina budget. Uh, obviously, it, we also saw, I think Matt Weaver was the one who pointed out that um, in the SMI header that lists all their tracks now or whatever it, uh, from press release or whatever it was, um, that North Wilkesboro is now included in their portfolio. So clearly, and Marcus Smith said, I mean, we're, we're trying to update it so we can have some events. We don't know what that all will entail, but you know, clearly that's one option. Uh, Jordan, your thoughts on any track that jumps out to you that, that could be in that role. Maybe it is North Wilkesboro. I know you've, you visited there. Yeah. I mean, North Wilkesboro is great. Honestly, it'd be any short track. I mean, whether it's a Hickory, whether it's a South Boston, any of those classic short tracks that are on the schedule, but the ones that jump out to me most is one is North Wilkesboro, but I'm kind of over this whole North Wilkesboro thing for a lot of reasons. Honestly, it's, it's one track, another track that is looking to be brought back. It's Nashville. It's the fairgrounds. That is a great half mile high bank short track. It's in a great market. I think that checks a lot of boxes. That is a track that I think would be a worthy addition to the cup schedule and produce great racing. Yeah, Nashville. I mean, I was, um, I felt after visiting Nashville for the SRX race, which was packed crowd and all that stuff, it, it was good. But I mean, that track definitely needs a lot of work to be sure. up to sort of NASCAR standards. And the more I think about it, you know, we always talk about, hey, you know, NASCAR could go to these places or they go to old short tracks, go to a South Boston type thing. And we got some questions um, from other people about, you know, what short track should they go back to? But you know, you could do that for maybe one race a year, like a really old mm -hmm. school short track that's not necessarily updated, but you can't just fill the NASCAR schedule with a bunch of outdated facilities because part of the cup series is bringing, you know, high profile sponsors and, you know, making it look like a big professional sporting event. And you can't just dip back if it's not going to be updated to all these tracks. So, um, I say that as somebody who never saw a race at North Wilkesboro, so I don't have any particular attachment to it. But one I do have attachment to was uh, the first race I ever covered or attended was Rockingham 2004. <laughs> and I think even when they went back there for the truck series race uh, a few years later, um, I, I just think Rockingham, like, you know, that surface, the way that it wears and, um, you know, just the, the unique sort of layout of it. Uh, I mean, that put up, puts on really good racing. It puts in the driver's hands and it's a Darlington esque type track where, sure. you know, it's not, it's not a short track, but you go there and it's, you get some good true NASCAR racing where you have comers and goers and stuff naturally. Um, so I guess I'd always be in favor of trying to get back to Rockingham somehow. I just, the nostalgia for me personally would, would f check that list. But, um, yeah, that's, that's my question. So thank you or answer for, thank you for Joe McIntyre for his question there. 
Oh, that was a great one. I, I agree. I, I I never watched a race at Rockingham except on television. But like you said, the, the tire wear there and what it represents, it seems that would be a worthy addition as well. And so that leads into sort of a similar question from Blaine Russell, who wants to know about how NASCAR should fix the short track dilemma. So we just said, you know, they, you know, they can't necessarily go back to all these old venues, yeah. right? Um, so what do they do? How do they fix it? And what is a good number of short tracks for 38 race schedule? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And that's one I always try to wrestle with. And I've asked people a lot is, is there, people aren't building short tracks. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, what's going on at auto club speedway with NASCAR is doing is kind of the anomaly there. And so there's six short tracks right now in this or six short track races on the schedule. Auto club Five. is going to, well, right. I'm I mean, counting Bristol Bris dirt's not, that's not a short track. It's still a short track. It's on a short track. I'm counting it. That's I'm counting. crazy. No, absolutely not. That's not a short track race. That's a dirt okay, race. I'm not going to get into this argument. Well, I will just, I'm just going to agree with you. I'm going to treat you like I treat my mother and just say yes to everything. <clears throat> and just Isn't your mother visiting right now. Yeah. She's probably listening to this too. And it's don't ask. I'm gonna, <laughs> I am going to need a therapy session after this. Um, <laughs> Okay, there's five short track dates, according to Jeff, on the schedule. Auto Club is going to be six. Let's say uh, Nashville comes on the schedule. That's seven. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you get more than that. And that, that's the one thing I'm curious. I think this LA Coliseum idea represents is a possibility to add more short tracks and, and in major markets, too, by the way, that otherwise don't exist. Because if this is successful... All of a sudden, your neck of the woods, Jeff, if you want to have a race in Denver, it's no longer, well, are we going to race on the street course, you know, in downtown Denver, or do we have to maybe figure out a way to get to Pikes Peak? It's, well, wait a second. Can we build a short track inside Mile High Stadium? And so I think that's the best avenue for this. So I would love to see more short tracks. I don't know what that right number is. If you get right around 10, that's about just about a third of the schedule. That seems about right to me. Yeah, so I think you're exactly right in that a lot hinges on how the clash goes. I mean, I really think a lot about the future schedules and, and the future of short tracks really depends on that race and, and not to put too much stock into it. But like you said, I mean, if it's a disaster, if it's just like, oh, okay, this didn't work, then NASCAR doesn't need to worry about going back. You know, it was a one-time thing. They go forward with the Fontana redesign. And maybe even other tracks mm -hmm. um, follow that suit of, you know, like, okay, let's shorten our track. And, you know, maybe we build short tracks out of former intermediates or something like that, right? On the same mm -hmm. property. If it's wildly successful and this is like, whoa, this concept works. This was great. This was fun. It was a great atmosphere. Then exactly what you're talking about. All of a sudden, every football stadium, every NFL yeah. stadium, beautiful places is in play for these kind of events. Um you know, if, if NASCAR can work it out, I mean, if, if Supercross can go into baseball stadiums and football stadiums and completely tear up their grass and cover it with dirt and then give them, you know, pay for a new field and all that stuff. Um, certainly NASCAR can build paved tracks, tear it up and, or whatever, you know, if they get a process yeah. down and, and it, it opens up the whole world. I mean, any place that has like an Olympic style stadium or mm -hmm. whatever that you could pack and, Tokyo, um, London, Mexico City. Yeah. I mean, it's you don't even need to worry about. Oh, okay, we can only do that if it's a street race or a road course. Or um, you go from okay, can we get a street race in Chicago to hey, let's go back to Soldier Field like we once had way back in the fifties or whatever it was. You know, yeah. Um, so 
yeah, I, I just think that's the, that's the potential solution. Um, and we'll see after that race. I mean, what happens I think, man, it's going to be crazy. Just how much sort of goes into that, but it's a concept that needs to be proved out first. And I echo everything you said, and I don't think people realize how big potentially the ramifications, if the LA Coliseum is successful, what it can mean for long-term for NASCAR, its growth and its schedule into different markets. I mean, New York City now is viable to go there and race and people want short tracks. You might get them in spades. So that kind of leads to my, the next question that I would chime in on. So this is from Jared C. Um, part of his email says, I've been a season ticket holder at Texas Motor Speeder for 10 years and the racing has seemingly gotten progressively worse. What, if anything, can be done to make the racing at TMS better? And could the track potentially fall off the schedule if the attendance and or racing doesn't improve? I mean, to me, Jordan, I don't know if you agree. I mean, the only thing you can do to fix Texas at this point is turn it into a short track because I don't 100%. think... With the unless you want to tear up the banking and start all over, which they, they just did, they just redesigned it. I no, mean, they that was their it. opportunity too, and it was a missed opportunity. I and I never understood this, and this was even before Auto Club re- revamped. But you're thinking, wait a second, Texas Motor Speedway is spending all this money to to reconvert this one mile and a half racetrack in, into something that is not going to. It's going to be another mile and a half racetrack. What are we doing here? There's a better way to do this. If you're going to be in that market, and it is a huge big viable market that you need to continue with you have to have a race that is exciting that is sexy that people want to go out to an event and that is not on the mile and a half track and the only way you can do that is a a short track or something of that nature where people are like wait a second we want to go there and race and if you want to continue to have an indycar race that's fine you can build a three-quarter mile iowa type track there and have both indycar and nascar and have good racing i don't know how you don't at this point, the only the only way to salvage Texas to me is to blow it up and start over. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing about Texas is even back then, even now to a degree, you go there and, you know, they haven't been removing stands like the other tracks have. There's still, you know, it's almost like they're like, oh, they'll come back someday. The fans will come back like they yeah. used to, 130,000 people or whatever. And, um, you know, it seemed like, in Eddie Gossage's final days, he sort of made it out like he was doing IndyCar a favor to even have them there. So I don't mm-hmm. think that was ever like a much of a moneymaker at all no. for, for Texas. So I don't think that should go into the priority of what they, you know, if they want to have IndyCar or not, they shouldn't be designing the track for that. Um, but yeah, I think they need to, they need to make a change for the second part of Jared's question or else it, it could potentially, you know, I mean, they've already lost a points race and, um, you know, I don't see how NASCAR can keep going there twice a year if they don't do something to change it up. So, um, I mean, you can keep going there and trying and say, well, maybe our, you know, the rules package will change or something, but it's just, as Jordan has made the point, um, on last week's episode, especially, I mean, it's, it's so much the track. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, turn it into a short track would be my, it's the old, I don't know what else you can do. I mean, really at this point, you've tried everything and every excuse has been, how many, how many excuses have we heard? It's hunting season. The Cowboys are playing this, that, whatever. Dude, we're running out of, we're running out of excuses. I was up in the press box looking out at the infield, uh, and, and for this last Texas race and the, the campgrounds were not full. That was the first time I've ever seen yeah. I've ever been to Texas. I mean, the, the one thing about Texas was, you know, you could always say, well, the campgrounds are completely packed. You know, that's, they have a lively scene going on and they didn't sell all their camping spots this time. And I mean, I can't blame people from, no, would you, you know, go there but, if you were a fan? 
I no, I don't like Texas. Sorry. No, I mean, I, I mean, there was, I, I mean, if I was going to rate rate the thirty six rank the thirty six races, Texas is. I'm not kidding when I say this. It's if it's not last, it's damn close to the bottom. Yeah. No. I. It's it's hard to argue with. I'm sorry. Um. I mean, I like I like visiting there. Like I like visiting the yeah, area. But it's a great market. Great sports yeah. market. So let's move on to sort of a different topic here. Um, Nate Doms had a question that jumped out at me and, and I just felt I wanted to answer it cause I already have an answer. Like I feel like I already know the answer to one where I'm not just talking out of my butt here, but, uh, his question was, <laughs> um, do you think NASCAR would ever consider a champions slash senior tour similar to the idea of the PGA, maybe a three or four race season of short tracks where the retired guys get a chance to race a little, um, I don't, do you do you want to answer this? I I feel like I I've got the answer teed up, Jordan. I think it's a hard no, but I want to hear your thoughts. I think it's a very hard no with no possibility. Why Why do you say that? Because it's they've kind of tried this before. It hasn't worked. We saw this thing at Bristol like what 10, 11 years ago, where they had they brought in a bunch of veteran guys, and Larry Pearson ended up in the hospital with severe injuries because you know, you know these guys haven't raced in a while. I just think it's really hard. Now, if you want to put together a series with with Gordon and Edwards and Stewart and like some of those notable guys who still have some good years left. Sure. I guess I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. So my answer was exactly what you talked about. I was at the Bristol race in 2010. They had like this legends race and they even, I mean, David Pearson was in this race in addition to a um, bunch of former, you know, Xfinity series type champions and people like that. Um, as you mentioned, Larry P Pearson, David's son, uh, he got knocked unconscious. He had to be cut out of his car. He and, uh, Charlie Glutzbach, uh, were both hospitalized. I mean, Pearson was hospitalized for, I want to say like two weeks or something like he broke some bones. Didn't he? Yeah. I mean, he had to have surgery. Um, and immediately, like I remember being at Bristol and going, uh, and like everybody was immediately going, okay, that's why they don't do these. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Like everybody was all hype. Like, Whoa, David Pearson's going to race. Like, this is cool. Like yeah. Bristol. And then like that thing happened. And they're like, all right. Yeah. We're never doing this again. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a reason these guys, I mean, this isn't like golf. There's a reason these guys are retired. Like, I mean, it's, it's, this is not a sport. Where you can have a margin of error and, and like, Oh, it's, it's cute. It's like, no, this is dangerous. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's a great, um, like I completely understand where Nate is coming from on this question because like when i think about it like oh man that'd be cool like rusty wallace sure. and people like that but i mean i guess in in a way srx um now they have a lot of current people too but that can be sort of like the retirement yeah. series where somebody you know still wants to race a little bit like a michael waltrip bobby labani type um paul tracy you know uh but you know honestly like even with like willie t ribs um you know, wanting to come back and, and do the SRX stuff, uh, last summer, like he was like winded, he was gassed after a lot of the races, he was so slow. And it was like, man, I'm almost like worried about this guy. So unfortunately I think you get to an age where, um, it's just not conducive to do that even on a short track. Um, I mean, you saw it with SRX, but I think SRX would like to get some more current drivers as well. Like they did with Chase Elliott, but I mean, they had Bill Elliott, um, uh, running competitively in, in the last race at least. So that's probably the answer, like some sort of hybrid series where, but not all retired guys. Cause I think that's just too, uh, too dangerous, too much liability there. Agreed. Um, see, scrolling, scrolling through some other questions here. Uh, chance Parker says Jordan released the video. <laughs> so 
no chance. Not happening. No one's seen it. No one will see it. Keeping it to myself. No chance. Chance. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That was a dad joke. Sorry about that. It's, well, it's appropriate. Your dad. So, yeah. Um, so let's see some other ones here that we have. Um, so this is from Tim. Uh, after listening to the teardown this week, he had a couple questions. One of which was what is the biggest mis- misconception that fans have about the day-to-day operations of NASCAR, the company and or NASCAR, the sport. Ooh, what do you think? You want me to go first? Yeah. Why don't you go first? I'm trying to let me formulate my. So here. I, I honestly, and this is not trying to kiss NASCAR's butt in any way. Cause at this point they're so mad at me that I don't think it matters. Why but, would they be um, mad at you, Jeff? So I, I honestly think that the biggest mis- misconception that people have is that they like, I, I think they care. They care a lot more than people think. You just they took are, my answer. They're trying, like they're legitimately trying. So obviously they don't always get it right. And they make decisions that, you know, you look at and you go, well, it seems like none of the fans asked for this. Why would they do this? Or, um, but ultimately when they sit in meetings, when they sit in their headquarters and they're trying to come up with things for the sport, they're trying to do what they think is best for NASCAR, for the future to grow an audience. Um, again, feel free to disagree with their decisions, uh, what they come up with, the policies, all that kind of stuff, their, their calls and things like that. But I think, the biggest misconception is that people just don't think like, they just think, wow, they're just so out of touch and whatever. But I, I, you know, knowing the people there, they're trying, they're trying their best. And again, I, I wish sometimes they had people in the room that maybe said, ah, you guys know this, how this is going to look like, this is what fans (laughs) are going to say. Like, I don't know if you should do this or maybe they do have that, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Um, so that would be my answer to that. I would echo what you said. And I think especially kind of this lack of a better term, new guard of leadership that's emerged in NASCAR within the last handful of years. It is a sense of, we respect NASCAR's tradition. We are going to honor NASCAR tradition. You you could see that with Darlington moving the Southern 500 back to Labor Day weekend. Also at the same time, we are also going to be not beholden to the tradition. We're going to try new things. And I think NASCAR's willingness to fail is 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 should be admired because I think for a long time, whether it was you could pick a lot of different things. I think this LA Coliseum idea is, is probably the perfect example of, you know, there was a time of we're not we're we're too we're not gonna try things because it may look bad, it may backfire on us. But this LA Coliseum thing of this could look bad. This could potentially blow up in their face. You're you're in the LA market, you're on national TV, all of these things at a track that's custom built, it could go wrong. But their willingness to say, you know what, set that aside. We're going to try this. That to me is admirable. All right. So this next question is from Peter Dahlberg. And actually, this wasn't a question. He asked, he sent a long email and he had some great questions. But I just thought this observation he made um, was something I never considered or thought about, I guess, uh, or haven't for a while. And, And I wanted to just read it and get your reaction. So he was talking about how he went to the 2016 uh, championship race at Homestead. And that day it was, you know, Tony Stewart's last race. And there was all the buildup for that. And that was what all the focus was. Right. But nobody knew that day that the other lasts were going to include Carl Edwards final race. I mean, 
absolutely nobody could have thought that even after he wrecked and walked to pit road out with Logano and all that stuff. I mean, imagine that even being in the garage after, um, you know, interviewing him and stuff like with this little group of media. I mean, I remember him like gathering his family and being like, Hey, we're going to be okay. And, you know, he talked about next year going forward and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, you could have never imagined that he'd walk away. Could have never imagined that. I mean, I don't think anybody saw that that was the last race without stages. I mean, was that ever even a possibility before they unveiled stages? I don't think so. No, I don't think they, I had to go back and look. I don't think they started talking about it until that off season when they were, they brought everybody into kind of like a little mini summit. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the final, I mean, potentially, unless they get rid of them someday, the final, like straight up, straight through yeah. NASCAR Cup Series race, green to checkered flag. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, obviously they had cautions for wrecks, but you know what I mean. That's no, kinda... but there was no, there was no stage breaks, right. which is crazy. Think about, I don't think they, I don't think NASCAR had to start really kicking around until they. I think it was Na- it was Nashville that year, wasn't it? Where they brought everybody together and they started talking about it. Vegas, there was no Nashville yet. Vegas, right? Vegas, yeah, yeah, Vegas, Vegas. You're right. I'm sorry. So, yeah, and. This was obviously Jimmy Johnson's final title when he, you know, that, cause that night when he tied it, tied yeah. the record, you know, there was still talk of, of then like, okay, he's still young enough. I think I wrote, <laughs> he's going to break. Yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, he can still go, um, you know, maybe he can win number eight now kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, and, and obviously, and as Peter notes, that actually turned out to be his fourth to last race win ever. Um, yeah. He only won a few more after that. So yeah, just kind of crazy. His observation was just, uh, what a unique race that was that there was so many lasts in that, it, it, you know, mm-hmm. just, uh, it all sort of, you know, 2016, it all sort of changed there, I guess. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting to, to read. No, on the podcast. It's, it's a good point. I think about that. It's kind of changing in the garden in some respects. Yeah. So let's look for, uh, another question here. Uh, and this is one that you highlighted, uh, from Aaron Brooks. And it says, in the next five years, which NASCAR teams are most likely to switch to a new OEM entering the sport? Boy, that's a good question. And this has kind of been bandied about a little bit. We, we heard a lot of, so we heard some chatter about this at Phoenix. And to me, it comes down to which team is really best positioned to build its own engines. Because that's, gonna, that's really the big hurdle is if a new manufacturer comes in, They've got to be able to build their own engines because right now, basically Ford, Chevrolet, and Toyota are the three, largely the three primary exclusive engine builders in NASCAR. So looking at this landscape a little bit and kind of talking to some people, there's two teams that jump out to me. One is, is Roush, Fenway, Keselowski Racing, and I had to pause because it's going to take a little <laughs> bit of time to get used to that. <laughs> Um, is, you know, they are, let's be honest, they're third on the Ford pecking order. And I know, I know Jack is a a longtime Ford man, but if you're that organization and you're kind of looking to kind of reassert yourself a little bit, wouldn't that make sense to join with a new OEM and become their top guy? And, you know, maybe they've got the infrastructure in place to build engines. So that that's one. And then the other one is Stuart Haas racing, because they obviously have the infrastructure in place too. Um, but if they're looking to kind of get out on their own and become that main focal point of an, uh, of a manufacturer, I, I, I could see them doing it. And I think something to note too, is both Tony and Gene have, have ties to other manufacturers and other forms of motorsports that they're involved in. So those would probably be my two choices. Interesting. Very interesting. So, um, Ali Osman has a question about the next gen car. 
We haven't talked about that um, on this podcast yet. And obviously there was just a test at Charlotte this week that uh, you were at Jordan. Ali Osman, by the way, our 2020 predictions champion. Um, and Woo-hoo. do you know, I don't know if you read my article, but do you know who the 2020 I read everything you okay, well, I love everything you write. You're my favorite writer. I uh, unfortunately won the 2021 predictions uh, for the preseason picks on the athletic uh, really by accident. I went 0 for 5 last year, 4 for 5 <laughs> this year. Uh, I don't know how everybody let me beat them, but Ali Osman, I took the title from him. So um, thank you. But uh, he says, by the way, he's been listening since uh, the USA Today podcast that I was doing way back. Wow. Those were like the Start Your Engines podcast. That was like the beginning oh, yeah. of my podcast dabbling, I guess. But uh, anyway, he wants to know about the next gen. He was He's comparing it to the Gen 6 because when the Gen 6 happened, everybody was saying good riddance COT because the Gen 6 was going to come along and change everything. Um, and then now people are like, you know, see ya, you know, Gen 6 car. We're excited for <laughs> next gen maybe. But um, basically, he wants to know what the consensus from fans will be regarding the car. Um, and will NASCAR be making major tweaks throughout the year, every year, like with Gen 6? Um, you know, how do you see this unfolding uh, based on what we know about um, NASCAR's intentions so far, which include the concept of 550 package basically remaining in place? That's a good question. And I think it's fair to say that NASCAR is going to tweak this car as they go along. They've already done that already, whether it's the front clips or whether it's the exhaust or the cooling with the, you know, making sure the drivers stay cool inside the car. So yeah, I mean, this is a work in progress and it's going to end until these cars get out in an actual race on, on a, I would say, honestly, like an intermediate style track and real world conditions and see what that car is like. And you can replicate as much as you want in testing, but until you get into an actual race and see what that's like, yeah, there, there's going to be all sorts of adjustments to this and, and modifications as you go along. And that's just part of the process. So I would, I would fully expect this to happen. I'm not, I'm, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> look at the, look at your face. Look at your face. This is my favorite part of the podcast where Jeff, just, you can see you're just biting your tongue. Like you just want to say something. What is on your mind? Tell us. Cut open a vein. Share with us. <laughs> I was debating all week whether I should go there or not. Um, do it. Do it. I don't. Do I don't it. know. Like you know, in one on one hand, I will say it is premature to jump to too many conclusions. Obviously, about when did that ever stop testing? You? And I just said last week, I think that don't jump to any conclusions because I got bit by jumping <laughs> conclusions at the Vegas test. But listen. You cannot, you, oh, I love this. You cannot, cannot have the premier series cars, the cup series cars turning slower lap times at the same track than ARCA cars do. You cannot have a situation where if you had ARCA cars, Ty Gibbs and an ARCA car on the same track as the cup series cars that Ty Gibbs, if the race played out would lap cup series cars. That is not acceptable. Okay. I understand. Oh, you know, it could be close to Xfinity cars and, you know, maybe the speeds will be different at some tracks or maybe the trucks will be faster at some tracks, but, and maybe people don't pay attention to this. Maybe people don't care. You know, if, unless you really put the speed side by side, you wouldn't know, blah, blah, blah. Look, the speeds I saw from the speed charts at Charlotte. And again, it's early. 
Hopefully they'll make them faster. I know they're keeping the 550 concept. I'm not even arguing that. But you've got to make the cars faster. You cannot have Richard Petty driving experience around Charlotte levels of speed for the Cup Series cars. You just can't. Look, again, I get, okay, you know, you now you can go to the dealership and buy a car off the street that has more horsepower than a Cup Series car, and we've accepted that for in the name of good racing. But is that, and, and, and again, I, I'm not saying that faster speeds translates into good racing, but just the mere principle of it. ARCA, ARCA cars, no. Like, no, how have we gotten so far along lost uh, along the way here with everything going on in the sport that people think they can twist themselves into uh, a pretzel of logic to justify this? You cannot have this. You cannot. So please, NASCAR, make the cars faster or make the cars at least faster than ARCA cars on intermediate tracks. That's my one request, okay? Like... Everybody gets a pass for the racing next year because it's going to be new and people are going to be adjusting to it, but you can't have the cars going that slow. You just can't. I'm sorry. How do you do it though? I, I, I mean, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I'm just, when it comes to the mechanical engineering side of things, I don't get it. I know NASCAR this week, they changed the rear spoiler a little bit and that raised the speeds up a little bit, add the horsepower. But I, 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 I honestly, I generally don't know is I don't know how you make a change to the car where you add a significant speed to it to make it different i'm not disagreeing what you say i i think on, on some level i agree with you i also think about it like does, if you're watching from the grandstands are you watching at home do you really know what an arca car does do you even care as long as you have good racing i, I just to me it's more you know if they're more, looking they're jordan they're four seconds off the track record at charlotte they're like almost two seconds off what they were even with this 550 package in may you you can tell they're going that slow, in my opinion. From the videos I saw, they look. I'm not saying I'm not saying they don't look slow, but I'm saying is that you do know though that oh wow man these guys I watch an ARCA race and these guys are so so I, I mean people watch ARCA really that know it. I, to me, I it's, agree it's with it's that, but I'm saying you can't have a situation where you're comparing the 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 speeds side by side and go hey by the way you know these cup cars where we're like having you know everybody wants to say oh there's best drivers in the world all the you know the premier series you know the top level the major leagues yeah they're slower than all these cars yeah i mean yeah. it used to be about you know speed and like oh you know there's this fascination in motorsports with like how fast can you go being on the edge and still you know keep control of your car and win the race and all this stuff and and that's been you know, again, in the name of good racing to have everybody more bunched up, this is the direction they've chose to go in. But, and what do you mean you don't know how to make the cars go faster? Chop some spoiler off, give them more horsepower. That's how you make cars go faster. They're not going to do more horsepower though. I mean, that's, it's, that's a, that, that ship has sailed. Okay. Then chop spoiler that, off. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the spoiler's already been knocked down quite a bit. I don't know how much more you can go, you know, and how much more that's going to speed. I mean, I think it was like going to five inches this week. I'd have to go back and look. No, they, they, they had, they were doing eight inches and they tried some cars. I think the SHR cars tried seven inches. Okay. Right? So you go down to five, four, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I mean, and these cars are already so unstable uh, on oval tracks the way it is. I mean, we saw it this week in, in testing. Like if you take away that spoiler even more, that that's going to make these cars even more unstable. So then where you, uh, I'm not disagreeing with you that they may like to see this fixed. I just don't think there's an easy solution to it. I think we're already too well down that road. 
Well, I hope that there's some tweaks they can make. That's all I'm saying. So Kevin says, um, his question is, what is one result in 2021 that could have changed the course of the season? So for example, his example is, um, like, let's say Eric Amarola doesn't win New Hampshire. So that means he doesn't make the playoffs. And we eventually find out Austin Dillon made the playoffs instead and um, never finished outside the top 15 in the playoffs. Is that true? I didn't need to check on that. Um, so where would that have you know left things? Um, so what is one thing that, that could have changed the course of everything that happened? To, to me, this is an easy answer. And to me, I go back to the Roval. Because if, I don't know how you want to like, what, how you want to pinpoint it, but if Kevin Harvick doesn't crash you know, going into turn one, what happens there? Does, does Chase Elliott pay him back and get revenge? And then does that, what happens? Then what does Harvick do afterwards? Does he go after Elliott on pit road? Is there some ramifications later down the road? If Kevin, there is no payback and Harvick doesn't crash, he, pro, he, he's, he was in a good spot to advance in a year where he's been struggling. And then, who knows what happens then? Is Chase Elliott eliminated from the playoffs then? The defending champion? Does he not finish second? I mean, just all of these are third, or we end up finishing uh, third or fourth, whatever we end up. But like, does he end up missing out? I mean, there's just that, that to me is the, the, the moment of the season where I look at of all of these different possibilities that have a lot of big ramifications. That's a really interesting one. Um, it's hard to argue with that, honestly, because, you know, you, you definitely come away with that feeling like Harvard kind of screwed himself there. Um, and really, I mean, he said like, oh, I never had a shot to win this, to win the championship, but I mean, he, we, we would have been able to find out whether he did. I mean, I, I think he had more of a shot than maybe he, he was saying there. So that one's really hard to argue with. I mean, I guess you could, you could go back to some of the crazy moments like, um, you know, does, does the Roval or sorry, does the Coda race play out differently if NASCAR doesn't you know, run it in the heavy rain and take out so many cars and, you know, maybe that race gets, you know, postponed or something, um, or moved later. I mean, I think it eventually did stop raining shortly after they called it for, for Chase Elliott while, while he was leading. Um, you know, would somebody else have won? It probably would have just been another Larson win, honestly, but you know, there's moments like that. I think of where I think, Whoa, that was crazy. It took out a bunch of cars needlessly, sort of like the New Hampshire situation, honestly. So, um, that is a good question, though. Moving on, Scott Wren um, asked, he had he had a few questions. He says, with SMI acquiring Dover and Nashville, do you think those tracks will lose their dates? And if so, to what tracks? I'm sure the fairgrounds would get one potentially. This SMI uh, acquisition was interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, what did you I make heard. of that? I don't know. Is it okay to say I'm not sure what to make of it yet? Like... I mean, I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised. I'm still trying to really honestly wrap my head around this and see what the ramifications are from this. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, Dover's going to lose a race. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe. I mean, we, we know they've had attendance issues, but that company's still profitable. I mean, they still made millions of dollars last year because of, you know, ticket sales and, and television money primarily. So, and that's in a key market. I mean, Philadelphia's close, New York's close, DC's close. Baltimore. Is that Baltimore is, is that a market? And also look at the Northeast, that rate, a lot of races have been taken from there. Is NASCAR really going to remove another race from the Northeast market? I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but obviously looking at the fairground, there's still a lot of steps that need to happen for that to, to, to manifest. 
But let's assume that that everything comes together and that the fairgrounds becomes a, a race track that is capable of hosting the NASCAR Cup Series. They're going to need a date from somewhere. It would make sense that Dover is, but I, I don't know if it is. Do you take it from Atlanta? I, I don't know the answer to these questions because I just there's a lot of unknowns right now. It, it does. It is interesting to see. But I will say this: that SM, that Speedway Motorsports owns both tracks in Nashville is intriguing to me. And I think the possibilities from the conversations I've had with people are that there's a lot of different promotional things that they can do. And it makes it really easy then to have a race at each of those tracks in the same season, because you can sell a season ticket to both of those races. You can sell cross-sell sponsorship opportunities, um, all sorts of different things you can kind of do. So I don't know. Um, the short answer is, is I think Dover's fine in, in the short term because we don't know what's going to happen with the fairgrounds. But this in the long term, yeah, I, I think this is a very interesting move for a company that has uh, been very bold in some of the moves that they've made over the last few years, whether it's Coda, whether it's Bristol Dirt, um, whether it's the Robles. So this is just another one. Yeah, I've you know, I've seen that idea floated about like, I think even Bob tweeted about it too. Um about like, hey, maybe you know this. If even if they do get the fairgrounds, this could be something where it's like they have a joint ticket or whatever. Mm -hmm. I just don't see why. Like, if you're if you're a fan of Nashville and you know you're you're going to go to a race. I mean, why wouldn't you just go to the fairgrounds race? Why even go to the Nashville Super Speedway at, at, at the point where the fairgrounds go on the schedule? I think that almost like kills the, the Nashville Super Speedway because what's the, you know, does not, first of all, you know, we're talking about how NASCAR needs to be going to a bunch of different markets and now they've gotten into Nashville, obviously, which is good, but I don't think NASCAR needs to be going to markets twice a year as a general concept. So why, why would they do that? Especially you, you have one track, I mean, have, go to the fairgrounds twice and add two short tracks if you want to do that rather than sure. going to Nashville super speedway. I just don't think Nashville super speedway puts on some like amazing enough product where you're going to be like, Oh yeah, we, we have to be committed to this and be married to this. So I kind of just think it's an easy, you know, holdover for now. And then if they get the fairgrounds, it's easy to move that date that too. I, I mean, I, and I get, I, I'm someone that doesn't want to see Dover go away just for the market element of it. Right. So, um, like you said, there's so many cities within a uh, two or three hour drive there. That's, that's a huge population center. Now, Pocono just lost a race. So New Hampshire's down to one race. Yeah. I mean, that's really, um, you don't want to oversaturate the South again and everything. So anyway, I think you make a really good point though. And that, that this is something to consider is that maybe that the cost of obtaining Nashville super speedway is basically speedway motorsports is cost to get a date for the Nashville fairgrounds and that they can, you know, the, the contract for Nashville super speedway runs through 2024, if I'm not mistaken. And so that is about the time frame when the fairgrounds is supposed to be completed. If, if the timeline is, as I've been told, goes through. So maybe that whatever they're paying for the, this deal, and, and um, I don't have the number in front of me, maybe that's just part of this though. Is like, hey, this is our date for the Nashville fairgrounds. And we're going to end up shuttering Nashville Spe Super Speedway or doing whatever we do with it when, when that time comes. So um let's wrap up this podcast with a little bit of F1 talk and, and we'll have a question to lead into it. We also had the F1 race, uh, this morning. Um, and, uh, you were doing a live blog for that actually. So I know you, I did. you Check were, it out. you were awake for that. 
I got up early here in mountain time as well. But um, so this is from Brian Watts, and he actually wrote a long note. But he his basic premise is that essentially um, he he was he's a lifelong NASCAR fan, grew up carrying his '94 Jeff Gordon diecast everywhere. Um, but enter 2020, and he suddenly sort of discovered F1. He'd always kept an eye on it, but now he's never misses a race, and he's sort of examining what happens to himself uh, to make this happen. Um, essentially, his his TLDR of it is uh, he likes the shorter races. He likes the authentic focus on personalities and drama. He likes that there's no repeat tracks. He likes that there's a serious tone from the broadcasts and more attention to all teams across the whole field. But um, his question, to, to dive into it further, he says, shorter races are great. I can get in and out of an F1 race in the length of a movie, not an afternoon like in NASCAR. Aside from a few legacy races, wouldn't shorter Na- NASCAR races benefit the fan base? Um, I think today, like today's F1 race, for instance, was in Cutter was a perfect uh, example because it wasn't a good I mean, it's a boring race for the most part, essentially, for at least by this season standards for F1. I mean, Lewis Hamilton killed everybody, but it was over in an hour and a half. So you watch it and you're like, okay, what's going to happen? Oh, nothing really much, too much happened. And that's it. Then you move on with your day. NASCAR obviously doesn't have that. Every race is sort of like an event that takes up, you know, your whole afternoon. Um, Would you like to see shorter NASCAR races, Jordan? I would. And it's funny you should mention this, Jeff, because I have an interview with a NASCAR executive who's kind of in charge of the TV side of things. Um, and that, that, that interview, that Q and a is going to run, I believe tomorrow on the athletic. And one of the questions I asked, um, Brian Herbst, uh, the NASCAR executive was about shorter races. And it was that this is something that NASCAR needed to consider because if you go back to the playoffs, Texas and Martinsville were three hours and 42 minutes in length. That's to me is excessive, especially at a time when you're competing against the NFL and you're trying to, you know, we keep hearing it shorter is better, shorter is better. And I asked him um, about that, and he did acknowledge on the record that shorter races is something that needs to be considered, and that is something that NASCAR is looking at. So, you know, I think, but yeah, go ahead. Can I'm I sorry. preface? I'm sorry. Go I just want, no, my fault. I do want to preface this too. Um, you mentioned legacy races; those wouldn't be touched, obviously. You know, Daytona 500, Coke 600, Day, uh, Southern 500, and it's not like they're going to be going to like 200 mile races or 300 mile races. But just in general, you may just see kind of what we've already seen already is kind of an evolution towards shorter events across the board. You always have to be careful talking about this because, you know, you get the inevitable people on Twitter or whatever. You just don't want to work as long. You know, you're a writer, you know, you just want to go home or, or you don't want to be at the track or whatever. I mean, we're at the track like 16 hours on race days or whatever. Anyway, it doesn't really matter like, uh, how, if the race is 30 minutes shorter or not, but I, the reason I like shorter races or would, you know, be an advocate for them is because I think it's, it's more action in a tighter window. You don't have as much time to ride around and, um, you know, it's, it's go, go, go the whole time. And every moment seems bigger because it has a more immediate impact. And if there's some sort of mistake, you can't recover from it as quickly. And, um, everything just seems more heightened. So, um, I get from fans where they're like, you know, by God, I, I came to Texas and, you know, I paid all this money for it and I, I want my 500 miles. And if you're going to take away, you know, make it a 350 mile race or whatever. I mean, I want, you know, I don't want to pay as much for that, but 
again, it's like, wouldn't you rather watch a 350 mile race? That's like way more like, Oh, go, go, go action packed than a 500 mile race where you're just like, all right, this is kind of like the chill time where everybody just goes and gets refreshments. Cause it's just going to be a long green flag run. I mean, I want more entertainment and action. I think shorter races would fulfill that, but I mean, I get where people are coming from. I just, I don't know. I agree. I, I don't buy the argument that, Oh, it's better for us. It's every sport. Really just about every sport. I mean, baseball, we hear this a lot is, is looking to, to make sure that its product is entertaining. The action is continually moving and it's good for both the, the people in attendance and primarily good for the people watching at home. And you have to be aware of time of events. And I, I'm sorry, I, I, I say this, and I don't mean it as a hot take, but I watched the Martinsville playoff race. It was fantastic. It was great. But why does that have to be 500 laps? Why does that have race has to be nearly four hours every year? So uh, as long as we're on the F1 topic, and this is usually our post-race podcast slot, why don't we discuss a little bit about the F1 race today? Um, obviously, very dominating by Lewis Hamilton. Um, nobody else had a chance. Max Verstappen, we found out you know, pretty much right before the race, had a... Five position grid penalty, but quickly made that up, uh, got to second really in the, in the opening laps, but just, they just didn't have the speed to compete with Mercedes. So, um, while Verstappen did get fastest lap, uh, F1 moves to the final two races of the year in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi with, uh, Verstappen having an eight point lead, even though it feels like Hamilton based on the momentum from the last two weeks really seems to have uh, a leg up at this point, but it's still Verstappen with the advantage in the points. It is in a big race for him today, big second place finish, which almost has to feel like a win because I, you know, everything that happened with Hamilton's speed in, in qualifying accompanied with Verstappen having the, the, the grid penalty that dropped him down the order to seventh. It just felt like, Ooh, this is going to be a huge point swing today. And while Hamilton did cut it into the lead, Verstappen still has it. And it felt like it could have been cut even more. And I thought him holding serve and getting that bonus point for the fast lap today was really, was, was crucial in how tight this, this points battle is. Every point matters. Yeah. The next two weeks certainly do seem to favor Mercedes with their newfound speed and everything. Um, but looking at today's race specifically, I thought it was, it was really critical and a great job by Verstappen, especially on that opening lap to, to blow by everybody. And Red Bull to manage the situation and what could have been a bad day was minimized. And Fernando Alonso, first podium yeah. since 2014. Really cool for him uh, to see him fend. It certainly, um, it probably helped that that safety car at the end there, virtual safety car. Um, he didn't have to use up his, his quickly dwindling tires uh, in the last couple laps to try to hold off Perez. But um, nice for him, nice, nice moment to see him get that reward there after it looked like his F1 career was over few years ago yeah great and he's still i would like to see him in one of those you know mercedes or red bulls car i think he can still do it he's got moments this year where you can just you can see the glimpses of it today and today was one of them um where he, he still has the talent and he's 40 years old but it doesn't he isn't driving like a 40 year old so uh we obviously have thanksgiving coming up and as it stands now i, I don't know what the black friday or cyber monday or whatever deal is going to be, or we don't have like that information or that code yet or whatever it is. But, um, I'm going to say with somewhat degree of certainty, confidence, uh, that if you go to 
theathletic.com slash the teardown on Black Friday or that week, maybe Thanksgiving itself. I'm not sure. That is where you'll be able to find the deal. You're, you'll be like presented with the deal as a new subscriber. So that's usually the best deal of the year or one of them. Um, I, I certainly don't think you'll find a better deal than that, whatever it will be. Um, and I have, they haven't even told us that there is going to be one, but there always is. So um, usually we get a really good response around that time. So just want to get that on your radar. Uh, if you're thinking of getting a subscription for yourself or as a gift for somebody this year to The Athletic, obviously we're sort of winding down a little bit, not as much motorsports coverage with the season uh, coming to an off season. We still have stuff going on. We're going to the awards and things like that in Nashville, but um, not as much, obviously. But uh, still there's other sports going on, and obviously it's a year subscription that you can get, so uh, you'll have that for all of next season as well, and you won't get a better deal when uh, the when the Daytona 500 comes around. So again, that is uh, theathletic.com slash the teardown. And uh, just want to, again, thank everybody who submitted questions. I'm going to run through some names, so at least I read your name uh, on the podcast. If we got your question, um, I don't know if we'll do a second follow-up uh, listener mailbag or not. So uh, Ali Osman, Contessa Nairi, uh, Kevin, Holly Brock, Chris, Dave, Scott Wren, um, Bob Pachris, Brian Watts. Um, thanks, Bob. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, Chance Parker, Nate Doms, Michelle Kidd, uh, Jason Kester, Jared C., Bryce, Will, Tom, Trevor, Joe McIntyre, Cameron, Lorenzo, Jack Kozlowski, again with the cool graphic there, Blaine Russell, Tim, uh, Jonathan, Mason, Aaron Brooks, Peter Dahlberg, uh, Mick Rose, Eric uh, Haman, I'm going to say, Haman, I'll say Haman, sorry if I screwed that up, Eric, Chris Sama, uh, Andy, Abe, Aaron Peach, thank you all for your questions, and thank you all for uh, some people that had very kind words about why they listen to the podcast or how much enjoyment they've gotten out of the coverage, and we read through, I put it in a Google, Google Doc so Jordan could see as well, and uh, we read through all the comments, and it's just like, wow, that's really nice, geez, thanks. Very cool. That's it's so awesome the feedback and support we get from everybody. Much appreciated. It always brings a smile to our face. Said this before. Appreciate all of you. Love doing the podcast, and uh, it's great to see that everybody's kind of hopping on board and uh, helping us continue to grow. Yeah, so we appreciate that, and we appreciate you, of course, as always, for listening. And we will talk to you next time on the Terror.